The following is a production of the Lance J Radio Network and Best in the World Sports, a division of Definitive Visions Multimedia. The opinions and views expressed are certainly those of the host and do not represent the views of Lance J Radio Network or NBC Sports Radio. All right, y'all, welcome to another edition of Offense, Defense, and Discourse. Bro, we haven't had a lot of sports to talk about. I mean, we finally, finally got to the point where we got everything at once. Can I tell you something, man? Can I tell you something real quick? I am a fan of middle of the day sports, not just baseball. This whole oh, like three in the afternoon, I, I can flip between basketball, hockey, and baseball all the all afternoon long. Basically, PM games, whether it be basketball, whether it be hockey, whether it be baseball, I am with that. Yeah. I am with a one o'clock game on a Monday. Oh, it seems like it should always be happening. Yes. Yes. Even when they go back to, you know, and hopefully at some point in time, they will go back to normal and, you know, fans will be allowed at the games and won't be in a bubble or whatever. At some point in time, they're going to go back to that. I I would love for them to to keep up, to keep 1 p.m. in the middle of the afternoon games. I I love that. I am a fan of that. I will take that. That we definitely agree on. You know, exactly. Like, me, because I always loved midday baseball. Midday baseball was cool. There's something special about it. You know, middle of the day, you know, you got, whether whether you got a small little TV or something or a radio or whatever, and you can listen to some Phillies baseball in the middle of the day, that was cool. And a lot of times it was like, it helped middle midday baseball helped you get past the fact that those times I was watching some bad Phillies teams, <laughs> you know, them bad late eighties teams, those bad midnight, mid to late nineties teams, you know, give me a twelve thirty game. I'll watch it. Give me a one o'clock in the afternoon. Give me a business person special. I'll take that. <laughs> This is person special. There goes a phrase I haven't heard in a while. Exactly. You remember, but you remember them days, them business person special. I never went to one a game like that. You know, I never actually went to a business person special. Well, at least for the Phillies. I went to a couple uh afternoon Orioles games when I was in when I was still living in Baltimore, but I never went to a Phillies game. I think I've been to one Phillies afternoon game. See, I but you, but it was special though. But you, I mean, you get what I'm saying. I'm not alone in this. Mm-hmm. Though. Yeah, it's it's not a normal occurrence. They're usually evenings or weekends when, yeah. when actual people usually have time off work and stuff like that. All right, now we're doing one in the afternoon on a Tuesday. That's just not normal sporting hours. No, I like not, it. But I like exactly, exactly. Get up and it's like it's something you you know. I don't mind watching a replay game sometimes on NBA TV. Like NBA TV has always got some basketball on in the middle of the afternoon. But there's something about you look down in the corner and you see that live. You see just four letters. That one word. You see that live. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. So you need to actually stop and pay attention for a second. What's going on here? What what, what we got here? Let me watch this for a second. Mm -hmm. I'm watching 
Mavs and Mavs and uh, Jazz. I'll take that. Three in the afternoon. Yeah. I'll take that. Why not? Takes you back to, you know, it's like uh, March Madness. Not even even March Madness, like the end of the college basketball season where you have those conference tournaments during the middle of the afternoon. Give me the Big Ten tournament at noon. I put it this way. Noon. Put it this way. If I happen to sit down in front of the TV at three in the afternoon, I flip into the channels. You can give me the, all of the different talk shows with the same recycled talking points they've been going through all yeah. morning long. Yeah. Or some live action. I'm going live action every time. Every time. What are you going? What are you going to watch? Are you going to watch live NBA basketball? Are you going to watch Max Kellerman and Stephen A. Smith argue over the same thing they argued the day before? At two in the afternoon, it's actually the repeat. Oh, who, whoever, uh, exactly. Skip Bayless. It makes it even more, even worse at that point. They're just giving you the reruns. Yeah, I'm I'm good. Give me that live TV. Give me that live broadcast. I'll take that. I'll definitely take that. Now look, man. As we as we speak, as we are here in the Philadelphia area, the 76ers are in the bubble. The 76ers are still playing meaningful basketball. As of today's taping, as we do this, uh, as we record this podcast, the Sixers are five games into the eight-game uh, seeding schedule. They are three and two. <laughs> wins over the Wizards. Wins over uh, Spurs. Wins over the Magic. Lost to the Pacers. Lost to the Trailblazers. In true, in true 76ers 2019-2020 fashion, even though they're playing in the same space, no fans, no difference. The Sixers have won the games that they're supposedly the home team, lost the games that they're the road team, with the exception of one. They are one and two in their games that they're listed as the road team. That one win was against the Wizards, who at this point have nobody and are just there for the free T-shirts. <laughs> no, this is a good chance for the Wizards to evaluate their young talent. Yeah, as much like, go through as, the as middle much, and lower half of the roster and see what you have for next season. Who gets to keep a job? Who's getting cut? That's what the Wizards get to use this time for. If nothing else. I, you know me, we've talked about this before. There's a phrase I absolutely hate in sports. It's, hey, we need to see what we have. But honestly, that's what the Wizards are doing. I, I agree with you. That, that's, that's they actually true. need to see what they have. Yeah, that is a case where, you know what, I don't have a big problem with it. Sometimes I feel like that's, that is a, a phrase way overused in sports. If you really want to hear any more about me getting into that conversation, shout out to Renee P. Washington. She had me on her Locked On Wizards podcast earlier this week. So you can go find the broadcast of that and the pot and get it all in a little bit more in depth into the Wizards and their future. You're doing a podcast with somebody other than me? Was a guest. Was a guest. We have guests. Guests, guests are allowed. A friend of the show. She's been on our show a couple that times. Is, that is true. Shout out, to, shout out to Renee. Renee gets love from this show. I, I'm just saying. I'm, I'm giving you a hard time because honestly, I haven't, I haven't actually physically seen you in months. 
it wasn't for just anybody. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah. I make sure you check out my man Jonesy on today's <laughs> podcast. But I'm giving her, giving you a hard time because you out here doing podcasts other than ours. That you know, but but nonetheless, Wizards, there they need to see what they have. We know what we have. Know what we have right now? A lot of injuries. Ben Simmons, presumably out for the season, came back, played four after all of that. After a um, you know months of layoff, we co- Ben Simmons comes back with the Sixers. Look at you know with the with a move to power forward. A lot of people love that move. Let me ask you first: When you heard that they were moving Ben Simmons to power forward, what did you think of the move? My first thoughts were that without the responsibilities of having to create off the dribble and with a, without a crowd in the building to get into his head, he might feel play a little more freely. He might play a little more aggressively. That's not what happened. That's in, not what happened at all. In your eyes, what happened? A couple things happened, none of them really good. Mm-hmm. The defensive edge the Sixers had when you start a perimeter of Simmons, Richardson, and what Thibel say say you start Thibel at the two and Richardson at the three, or you could go with a little bigger with Harris at the three, something like that. But your your defensive perimeter is top shelf. It's top notch. Moving Ben Simmons to the four, and now you have Shake at the one. You're sacrificing some defense. I like Shake. He's a nice little player. He's got, a, I think, a solid future in the league as a as a pro. But defensively, he's not there yet where you can call him a lockdown defender. Team, teams are going at the Sixers' perimeter defense, especially in the pick and roll. DJ e. Warren, pick and roll, a lot of screen action, went for 53. Dame Lillard pick and rolled them all night for 51 himself. It's, mm-hmm. So you made some defensive sacrifices to try to try an offensive experiment, which didn't really seem to work. You were forced into that offensive experiment because you had a point guard who wouldn't space the floor by even thinking about attempting a jump shot. Don't blame Brett Brown for attempting it. Ben Simmons forced his hand. What I'm seeing is that Ben Simmons is honestly best suited to probably be a point guard. He has to take that next step mentally where he's willing to shoot the ball. It's not about making the shots. It's about what's necessary to keep the team flowing properly. If the defense knows you're completely unwilling to shoot, they never have to guard you. If you're not a great shooter, it might hedge, close out slowly, but eh, if you're an average shooter, they're going to come closing out. If you if you end up being a good shooter, it can't leave you. You know, so the more you shoot, the better you shoot. The only way to get better at shooting is by shooting. So the more you do that, the more it helps the team. It's not just a matter of your own stats looking good or my field goal percentage. It's 
this is one of those things where it becomes a detriment to the team to continue to allow him to run the point guard if he's not going to face the floor, especially when you have a center like Embiid who likes, who is able to create matchup problems every time in the post. But for that to work, he needs space. So you not have guys swatting at the ball, doubling down, looking to trap. You know, for that to work, guys need space. So, so. honestly, I feel like, in essence, I understand the move. Like you said, Ben Simmons mm-hmm. for uh, Brett Brown's hand. Yeah, you had you to, he had to do something. You got a point guard who can create. You have a point mm-hmm. guard who can facilitate, mm-hmm. but you're still, you're still winding up with a guard who won't shoot. Mm-hmm. At this point, you can't even say he can't shoot. He yeah, won't. I, shoot. You, I intentionally didn't use the word yeah. yeah you, when, we have actually seen him shoot. He shot a decent percentage. And I, and and you and I have pulled our hair out literally during you know during these shows. You and I have done mm-hmm. podcasts together for a little while now. And it's like, I feel like I'm there. We've had a conversation, uh, an ongoing conversation about how you define evolution. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, we've had differing opinions because, and primarily part of those differing opinions was because you were at a point that I wasn't at at that time. Mm-hmm. I think you're here now. Well, you know what? I'm getting there. I'm a lot closer to there <laughs> now than I was the last time we had this conversation. Mm-hmm. Last time we had this conversation, you know, I'm like, okay, there. I felt like there were improvements in his. I, I felt like his numbers spelled improvement but now you're at a point where it was like i okay. did and i agreed with you i, I believe mm-hmm. but now i agree with you to the point like i i thought he was improving but then we got to that word evolving mm-hmm. you know when we start using that word evolving that means i'm starting i want to see some change i want to see some different things yeah. and yeah. He, he refuses to do that yeah. anything different than what he's already good at Mm-hmm. It's like, I, honestly, it almost seems it 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 almost seemed like he feels like one or two jump shots mm-hmm. makes him cool for the next two three games, at least. Like you know what? Let me come out here. Let me shoot this jump shot. Let me shoot this jumper. Make mm-hmm. it or not. In fact, he probably felt like you know if I make this jump shot, y'all got to leave me alone for a week. Like for like two weeks. <laughs> Yeah. If, yeah I sh- if I shoot one, if just I shoot, shoot one. You got to leave me alone for the first week. Yeah. If I make it, I, I earn the extra it. week. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. If I make a three pointer, you got to lay off me for two weeks. Mm-hmm. If I miss it, all right, give me a week. I'll, I'll shoot one again. But nonetheless, they moved in the point. They moved him to forward. And there were some struggles in his defense. There were mm-hmm. struggles in team defense, but I mm-hmm. felt like the biggest, the, the biggest thing, and I, and I remember watching those first couple of games, and I had, and you, you know, during these games, Jonesy and I, we we we, we text each other, 
And the first thing I'm like, you know what? As much as this, as much as I agree with the point that you made that Ben Simmons forced Brett Brown's hand to move him to power forward, because mm-hmm. you know he's a guard. He in in essence he's a guard that won't shoot. You move him to power forward. You move Tobias from power forward to small forward, where he played better. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, he was a small forward last season. A lot of people said that, hey, you know what? He's moving to his natural position. That may be that may be the case. That may be right. That may be wrong. Whatever. But he played better at three. I agree. So you move Ben Simmons to the four. You got Tobias at the three. Those are the two players that you know. That's the that's the position that they're better at. And now I'm looking at a front court of Embiid, Simmons, and Tobias. And quite frankly, in the four games that they played together, you know what? They played pretty darn well. Mm-hmm. That's a fair know, assessment. They they put, you know, there was, you know, Ben Simmons might not have had the best defensive season in the bubble, but nonetheless, but nonetheless, I thought they I thought they played well. But the problem is, I don't know if the Sixers have the guard play to facilitate that move. You know, we talk about it. We talk mm-hmm. about a lot in you know, we're talking about college basketball. We talk about you know how you need guard play to to advance and you know to survive in advance in March Madness, but. In the NBA, that can be the case as well. Shake Milton had a couple of nice games. Shake Milton is an NBA point guard. Mike Jones, I ask right now, is Shake Milton a starting NBA point guard on a playoff team? Offensively, I think he can handle the job with a sufficient talent around him. Defensively, I don't know. He's... He could be a role player type point guard on a team, on a playoff mm-hmm. team if you have adequate talent around him. Don't expect him to be like a star point guard. That's that's not him for sure at this point offensively. But defensively, I definitely think there's still a lot to be desired. Let me ask you this then, because you you said that he could be a, a role player. Mm-hmm. Are you comfortable with two role players? Because that's what they have. That's what they're going to have to do. Can't be there, there, there'll, there'll be no moves to be made. There'll be there. There are no moves to be made at this point. Are you comfortable with two role players in that backcourt for the Philadelphia 76ers moving into the playoffs? It could be. I could be. If that would be. Okay, if that would be dependent on one very important thing. I don't think is likely to happen. Okay. All right. How were the 94-95 NBA champions built? 94-95, that's that's the Rockets. They're built around uh-huh. they're they're built around Olajuwon. Who was their backcourt? Vernon Maxwell and uh was that Kenny Smith? Hmm? Kenny Smith. Kenny okay. Smith. Kenny Smith and Vernon Maxwell was it Smith and Maxwell, or was Maxwell huh? off the bench? Max, actually, it might have been Smith and Ellie. 
Which position did Ellie play? The two or the three? I thought Ellie played the two. No, 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 no. I, I think Ellie played the the three. It was Maxwell at the two and Smith. Yeah, you got role players all around the perimeter, mm-hmm. which okay. is my point. That will require Embiid to be in shape and to dominate both ends of the floor in the paint, offensively and defensively. And with this ankle injury that he has right now, mm-hmm. and his propensity to get out of shape when there's not game action going on to begin with, coupled with a lower body injury that tends to limit your ability to do cardio and do conditioning. I'm not really holding my breath on Embiid being in the best shape of whenever he does return to the court. Okay, so here's, here's the thing. Sixers are locked into the sixth spot at this point. Mm-hmm. Can't drop, can't rise. Like, we talk about Joel Embiid's in, uh, his conditioning. Mm-hmm. The thing that gets me about that conversation about his conditioning is I feel like there have been times when we've remarked about how good he's looked and how well, you know, how well it looks like he's worked on his conditioning. Mm-hmm. And then for some reason, like, I feel like we talked about his conditioning, how how well conditioned he looked coming into this season, which now feels like five years ago. But we talked about him looking and appearing in good shape as we entered the 2019-2020 season. And then, whether it be like an injury, I think, you know, I feel like it was took a couple games off, got suspended for fighting Carl Anthony Town. And we were right back where we were talking about he was in bad condition. Like, what is he going if he misses these next three games, is he just gonna eat Big Macs for the next you know, for the for the next couple of weeks until he never you know, until he comes back? What is it about his condition? like he he looked in good shape starting you know, with the start of the, of this second season, with the restart, he looked in good mm-hmm. shape. He did. You still see him trailing on plays and getting back a little late. Not You remember when he first got on the court after sitting for the what, first year and a half or so yeah. of his career, oh, two and a half years oh, of his yeah, career? Yeah. yeah. And he finally got on that court that January and the type of energy he showed Oh, yeah, yeah. Especially defensively chasing down stuff, getting back every time. That's what type of effort you need to see out of him for this team to advance. Think about advancing beyond the first round. He has it in him. He's We've seen enough then to know that he's capable of gearing up like that. But that's what we need to see him do. And if we can get that from him, then mm-hmm. we, we can possibly – have some hope for getting out of the first round against Boston. As important as Embiid is, as much as this falls on Embiid, still believe that this is going to come down to the guards. You need guard play. How confident are you in these guards? I feel like the combination of Horford and Embiid in the front court together mm-hmm. is better in the bubble. Like people were convinced that Horford and Embiid just couldn't play together. Coming, you know, two guys and, like that need space to operate. 
Mm-hmm. What was the first then, thing I said about the former point guard? He didn't provide space. Didn't provide space. When, when I, you have two big guys, you need the perimeter players to provide space. Now he's out there with make or miss guys who are actually willing to shoot the ball. Mm. Jake will take the shot. Alex Burke will take the shot. Richardson, Josh Richardson will take the shot. Bible will shoot. Court wise will definitely shoot. Yeah. You know, these are guys that will provide more space. So now you can see the dynamic with two bigs, high posts, low posts. Mm-hmm. opposite wings, such like that, and they have room to function effectively. Mm-hmm. That, that is, I say, like, with, with guys like that, Embiid, who's uber-talented, and Horford, we've seen over the years, is a very high IQ player who you actually can run the offense through. Mm-hmm. If you think about when he was in Boston, point guards, Isaiah Thomas and such, were scoring points. The ball motion on the offense was triggered through triggered through Horford. Yep. You know, so you do have options still on how to run an offense at a high level. You just need your guards to be effective. You don't need them to be stars. But that again, go to my earlier point, success is predicated on Embiid being a dominant player on both ends. With that, it can work. Without that, no, you don't have enough. I guess, given that that it, it will work, but eventually you're going to need these guards who are taking these shots that are providing these space the spacing. You're going to actually need them to make these shots. Mm-hmm. How confident? Yeah, guys. You, how confident are you in that that can happen? How confident? Like, what I would love to have. What I would love to see before the playoffs actually start. Can I get a guard to have a good, two good games in a row? I've seen, you know, Shake Milton had a rough game, had a, a particularly rough game against Indiana. Yeah, he got into it with jo- Joel Embiid. Whatever. I don't. I don't. You know, that's that's water under the bridge. I, I you know. That's 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 two guys competitive getting frustrated, you know, frustrated with a situation, whatever. Water under the bridge, not a big deal. The the point I'm making is, Shake had a tough game against Indiana, bounced back, mm-hmm. which is what you want him to do. Took that shot against the Spurs, and you want and and you love the guts of a, of, of a player who had a rough game. Absolutely, stepping into the shot confidently. Yes. I love every bit of that. I'm there for that. However, I feel like I need a little bit more consistency from the guards. I need to see whether it be Shake Milton, whether it be Alec Burke, whether it be uh, uh, Furkan Korkmaz, whether it be Josh Richardson. Josh Richardson had himself a game against the Trailblazers, albeit in a losing effort, but there was absolutely no reason for the Sixers to be in that game. But that's exactly my point. All those guys that you just named, you don't need any of them to be a star or any of them to carry you. You, All those guys, then you throw in Thibel, they commit to giving you a good defensive effort and Mm -hmm. they all contribute some offensively. You can get enough. But like I said, that is predicated on Embiid being dominant 
Him being dominant on the all, the defensive end makes the whole team much better on the defensively. And him being on the offensive end forces other teams to try to help and scheme for him, which makes the job for those other guys much easier. Take the pressure off those guys. Give them open shots they can step into or catch the defense rotating because you had to double down on the big one-two passes, a wide-open shot, wide-open lane to the basket, those type of things. These guys can do that for you. But at that point, you're, you're not asking them to carry the load or an, an unbearable portion of the load, at least, because the guy who you drafted top three paid top money to comes in motivated and dominates the way he's capable of as probably the most talented center in the league right now. So given that, how come let me ask you. Okay. You you've been asking me. Let me get it. Let me get what you think out of this. You, how confident are you in these Sixers, specifically the backcourt court guard play? Their the consistency scares me. That's been my that's been my point. I don't need them to be stars. I don't need Shake Milton to be the the fourth star on this team. I feel like this team was built around and this team is going to be built around Embiid, Simmons, and Tobias Harris. You got your one, mm-hmm. your two, and your two A. How about that? Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't necessarily need Shake Milton or Josh Richardson to be superstars. I don't need them to be all-stars. I don't need them to necessarily take in take over games day in and day out. But I would like them to be a lot more I would like them to be more consistent. I would like to see Shake Milton play take shots with the confidence and make shots with the ability that he did in San uh San Antonio more games in a row. I would like to understand see, that. I would like to see some consistency from Josh Richardson. I feel like Josh Richardson had himself a game against Portland. I would love to see another game like that. I understand that you can't expect, and and I'm not asking Josh Richardson to be Jimmy Butler. You know, I, I don't need him. Mm-hmm. I don't need him to be Jimmy Butler. I'm not, I'm not even sure if Josh Richardson can be Jimmy Butler. Right. But I would love to see more of what I saw against the Trailblazers in these last three games. All right. Now, let me ask you want to do one thing for me. And okay. this is what I want everybody listening to do when they're thinking about the Sixers, like what it could be. Imagine Embiid that first January that he played that type of effort. Imagine the team that was around him then. Compare that rest of that unit to the team that's around him now. They can be all right if he comes in focused. It all yeah. at this point, it all hinges on him. Yeah, it's, he's the I one know. transcendent player on the team. I feel like at at this point in time, Joel Embiid is in a situation where there he will not have Ben Simmons. Mm-hmm. So expectations are slightly tempered. 
slightly, slightly tempered, but he still has Tobias Harris. He still has Al Horford. He, he still has Shake Milton. He still has Josh Richardson, which is better than the team that he had around him. Hold on, I, hold on. I'm, I'm starting to have beef with you. Why don't you ever mention my man Thibel's name when you start? Oh, you know, you're, no, you know, you're you're absolutely right. You're absolutely. Right. I, I don't mean I don't mean to slight him. No, you're 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 you are absolutely right. Thibel is a piece, and I mm-hmm. I, I feel like. I like what Thibault has done as a personality, and I like his play. So I, I, too. I, I absolutely, you know, that's, you know, hey, charge it to my mind, not to my heart. Because I have absolutely no reason to leave out Thibault. And honestly, I, I would absolutely like to see Thibault get a little more of Cork Mazes minutes. Okay. I would like to see Thibault get more of Cork Mazes minutes as much as I would also like to see Alec Burke get more of Neto's minutes. But I think that's actually. I agree with that, I too. Think the latter I absolutely in, in, agree uh, with that, too. Because Neto got way too many minutes to start this uh, to start this season. I didn't even understand that. Even with... with, with even before with the, the Simmons injury, before the change... With the change yeah. of position to Ben being off the ball, you think there'd be more opportunity for Burke to play some one. He's, I guess all... Honestly, all of them, Milton, Burke, Neto, they're all kind of combo guards. No... Pure point guard in the pure point guard, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's a work in progress. Too bad we're at this point in the year and we still have a work in progress. But I don't want to hear work. I want to hear. I want to hear. You know, well oiled machine. I want to hear. You know, cooking with gas. I want to hear. We we are rolling on all four cylinders. I don't want to hear. Hey man, we're just a work in progress. All right, man. Look, we're gonna take a quick. Let's take a real quick break. And we'll be back. We'll talk more right here on offense, defense, and discourse. You feeling this podcast? To hear this and more, go to soundcloud.com slash B-I-T-W sports or on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and search Best in the World Sports. Rampage, the first lieutenant of the Universal Flipmode Squad. The construction Tims are classic in Philly they and are. New York. They are. Connecticut. James Lewis. Never been to Connecticut, man. Connecticut, Jersey, you definitely from uptown, New York. You're definitely Manhattan, from New York if you Harlem. shouted out Connecticut. You are listening to the Lance J Radio Network. Not completing high school is more of a social thing than it was an academic thing. Even though all these years have passed, I still had that longing to have my diploma. At age 30, Carissa finished her high school diploma. If you're even considering getting your high school diploma, you can do it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. If you are a Philly sports fan looking for extensive coverage of your favorite local pro and college teams, go to TotalSportsLive.com. Total Sports Live is your one-stop shop for all the news you need to know in the Philadelphia sports scene. Be sure to follow Total Sports Live on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. When you need to know Philly sports, get to know TotalSportsLive.com. The following is a production of the Lance J Radio Network and Best in the World Sports, a division of Definitive Visions Multimedia.
The opinions and views expressed are strictly those of the host and do not represent the views of Lance J Radio Network or NBC Sports Radio. All right, we are back on offense, defense, and discourse. His name is Jonesy. My name is Brown. We're talking NBA, talking NBA in the bubble as the seeding games are about to end, and we are getting ready to move forward into the actual playoffs. It's crazy that we're talking about playoff basketball here in the middle of August, but that's where we are. We have now watched the NBA in the bubble. And for me, there have been two names that have kind of stood out for me during this NBA restart. And I want to, and I want to see if you and I are on the same page here. Number one being Devin Booker, Devin Booker, uh, averaging 31 points a game. Suns won their first seven games of the eight seeding, uh, Eight seeding games, the Suns won their first seven. Devin Booker scoring 31 points a game. Definitely proving himself to be a player. Mm-hmm. Second name on uh, the second name that has come up is Dame Lillard. <laughs> Dame Lillard scoring 37 points a uh-huh. game. They're hearing a lot of those two names. Yes. That's that's what I'm hearing. Those those are the two if if there is going to be an MVP of the NBA restart. Those are the two names. The that, bubble awards. Yeah, exactly. If you're going to give some bubble awards, it's going to be either Devin Booker or Dame Lillard. Blazers won five of their first seven. Looks like they're going to lock up the, uh, the eight seed in the playoffs. But this is, but this is where I, I, I really want your opinion. Suns, like I said, Suns won first uh, their first seven games of the eight seeding games. Mm-hmm. Devin Booker scored thirty one points a game, but it looks like the Suns are still going to miss the playoffs. Dame Lillard scoring thirty seven points a game, and it looks like the Blazers are are not going to finish higher than an eight seed. My question to you is: Does that change or affect how impressed you are with what they've done? Are you less in, like, does that add, uh, does that add, like, context to this conversation? You know, you're talking about Devin Booker balling, straight balling, but they're not going to make the playoffs. Is he a good guy on a bad, is he just a good guy on a bad team? He's a, he's a good guy on a young team. And what you've seen in this bubble, we talked about it. Not on the show, but off the air when the bubble was starting, where we met, we discussed the fact that the absence of a crowd could have effect, positive effect on some of these young players who are extremely talented, mm-hmm. a building full of 20, 25,000 people, crowd noise everywhere, bright lights and cameras, nerves could get to you. Mm-hmm. In a bubble where you're kind of able to a lot more easily drowned out the distraction. These kids can just go ball. There's this is the situation where young teams are more likely to overachieve in my in my opinion. Okay. So what I saw from Phoenix was all that talent getting the sh- that they have on the roster drafting high in the lottery the last several years being able to shine through without the pressure of fans and everything else. In their ears like making them nervous 
So I'm not necessarily surprised at what we've seen from seen from Phoenix. Mm-hmm. That being said, they had a long uphill climb ahead of them trying to even try, consider being in a fight for that last playoff spot to begin with. So I don't think they're a bad team. I think what they showed us in these seven games, seven games they won, is more of a preview of what we can expect from them next year. Mm. Now, as far as Portland goes, that's an interesting situation altogether because you've got Nurkic returning healthy, who if he had been there the whole season, chances are Portland's record is better to begin with. You actually have a slim, mellow, an in-shape, ready-to-play mellow, it looks like. Motivated mellow. Motivated Motivated mellow. mellow. Has he impressed you? Because I know, I mean, let's let's keep it real. You've been a critic of uh, of Carmelo. You've never, he's never been one of your favorite players. Right. And I still believe Mellow is one of the most overrated players of the last 20 years. That being said. Tell me I'm wrong. I dare no, 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 I'm I, wrong. I, I, we ain't got that much time, man. But what I will say mm. is that on this team where he doesn't have to be the primary decision maker, mm. named Lillard, or the primary scoring option, Lillard, McCollum, Nurkic, all mm. these other guys yeah. around, Melo can just go out there and do what he does in balls. It's almost more like a USA basketball role mm-hmm. that Melo played than what you saw from him in Denver and New York or even OKC where there's pressure on him to be a decision maker and facilitator more so than just when you're open, shoot the ball. That that role is fit, fits perfect for Melo. Role player Melo is a, is a bigger help to a team than Melo the guy. You saw what yes, Melo the you saw you saw what Melo the guy could do in Denver. You saw what Melo mm-hmm. the guy could do in New York. You saw what Melo the guy could do in OKC and Houston. And you know, mm-hmm. un- unfortunately, there there are no more roles for Melo the guy on teams that actually think that they can win Once anytime win. soon. Exactly. You know, Melo could role be the, player Melo. Yeah, role player Melo. On the other hand, you're seeing what he's what, a real yeah. A real valuable piece. Exactly. That's He's proving thing. himself. If Melo's willing to come in, accept his role, and play game basketball, he's an extremely talented player. Mm-hmm. One of the more dangerous offensive weapons we've seen in a while. But you, you don't want Melo. Melo's your best player. You're not going to win much. No. If Melo's your fourth best player. You can go a long way. Mm-hmm. So that being said, and, so that being said, do you see Portland as a? T- I mean, are right now, right now, mm-hmm. is Portland better than the eight seed that they have? Like, is this a team that you think could? I mean, right now it looks like it's going to be Portland and the Lakers in the first round. I'm not saying Portland, I mean, Portland's not going to be a pushover. Right now, Portland's not going to be a pushover, but is there like no, is there a serious be. reason to believe that there could be an eight-one upset this year? 
I don't buy it. Okay. And and I'm actually a fan of Dame Lillard's game. Mm-hmm. I'm going to th- throw some numbers at you real quick. Okay. And since he's been in the league, he has lowest playoff winning percentage of any player. Mm. He has one of the worst plus minuses, the second worst plus minus, I believe, of any player in the playoff. <laughs> and as much as I love Dame's talent, you know how I feel about guards who are looking to shoot too much. And in previous years, without pre-role player Melo, mm-hmm. It's hard to say whether it was because of situation or because of or by design. There was too much of a load on Dame Lillard for them to try to win anything. Mm. This year, I think what it'll take for them to get past the Lakers in the first round, assuming they get locked into that eight seed, is two things. Role players have to accept their roles and not try to do too much in the moment. Mellow. <laughs> and the other thing is Dame's going to have to trust his teammates to fill those roles, not try to put too much pressure on himself. I'm rolling, I'm the man, I'll just go get 60 every night. That's not going to work either. You know, when they they beat L.A. a couple nights ago, but I'm pretty sure LeBron didn't play that game. Mm-hmm. And we all know LeBron on the court changes a lot of things on both ends of the court. That he does. And LeBron this year has been re- rededicated, refocused on defense as much as he has been on the offensive end. With Anthony Davis there, he doesn't have to score all the points every night. Facilitate, he's able to focus on defense more. So if you ask me who I'm picking, I'm picking the Lakers in that series. Mm. But I will say that loss of Avery Bradley and Rajon Rondo Two very high-level defenders on the perimeter mm-hmm. will make it a much more difficult task. Set if having Rondo, having Bradley, that's probably a four or five game series. Mm-hmm. Without them, you're looking at a six, seven game series, in my opinion. Okay. But still have the Lakers coming out of that series. Okay. Now, before we move on, I uh, just want to circle back to Devin Booker. And they win seven games. They're probably still going to go home. Does that does that change how you how you view what he did over these seven games? Not at all. He had to go out there and win. He went out there and win and won a lot. He mm-hmm. had to go out there and do his job at a high level. He went out there and did his high job at a high level. He can't be responsible for what the other teams did that were ahead of him whether or not they were going to lose games and actually stumble to the point where he had a chance to get in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. His job was to go out there and win the games he could, give his team a shot. He, they absolutely did that and did it well. So there's, I don't see any way anyone could not what Devin Booker and the Suns have done in this bubble. So if there was a bubble MVP, who would you give that award to? I going Booker. You would go Booker. Okay. I would go Booker. Why Booker over Dame Lillard? Wins. 
that simple to me. Win. Mm-hmm. Okay. Best player on the team with the most win. Got you. Got you. No, understood. No, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. And I guess, you know, I, I feel like a lot of times people feel like, you know, wins and losses is kind of like the easy way out. And I say that to say, like, okay, seven, you know, they won seven games. He was pretty much the leading scorer in all of the, you know, all of those first seven games. But when the playoffs starts, Devin Booker is going to be watching it on television with the rest of us. And uh-huh. and I think there are a lot of people who would feel like that, you know, that works against him. That whole best player on a bad team sort of stigma. They weren't a bad team in the bubble. If we're doing bubble awards, mm-hmm. yeah. They weren't a bad team. In the no, bubble. I mean, well, bad teams. Are, yeah, bad teams aren't going to go seven. Aren't going to go. Are going to win seven of the first eight. Exactly. So you know, I, no, I I completely understand so that. I, that that's, that's my point. If we're just talking about what happened in the bubble, yes, you can't call them a bad team. They have the best record. Mm-hmm. Who's been better than them in the bubble? In the bubble, nobody. I mean, they're seven and zero. They they beaten everybody. Exactly. They, they beaten everybody they played. And he scored 31 points a game. Mm-hmm. Other... You know me. I've always been a big proponent of wins over everything. Yeah. The goal of the game is to win. Mm-hmm. You can go score 70. If your team loses, I don't care. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, I feel like because you and I talk enough now where I, you know, bro, I know you, man. I, I, I know how your mind works. I say this because I feel like, I feel like, and, and, and before we, we move on, you know, we've been talking about Devin Booker, we've been talking about Dame Lillard. Like, Dame Lillard is a Mike Jones type of player. Not necessarily in his game, but his mentality. And I'm talking about this back and forth that he had with Pat Beverly and and and, and Paul George. I love Dame's mentality. Yeah, I I, I, mentality. I I know you do. You ain't got to convince me of that because he, I, as much as people bemoan the fact, bemoan, and, and I'll bring him into this conversation, LeBron James, because he seems to he seems to be somebody who operates without an enemy. You know, it's like, hey, man, we can all be cool. Let's all go out and play, give it our all. And then when, when it's all over, we'll go get some McDonald's afterwards. Mm-hmm. Dame Lillard is like the exact opposite. You wear another team's jersey. We ain't going to get no McDonald's after nowhere. I'm going to spend 48 minutes trying to kill you. Mm-hmm. And I'm either going to spend the night after that, either figuring out how I can kill you again in the next game or why didn't I kill you in this game? That's, you know, that that's who Dame, that's who Dame Lillard is. And that's a Mike Jones guy. Absolutely. I, Absolutely. That is what I think it should be for everyone. I, 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 I know that's friends, how you think it should be. friends with your teammates. Mm-hmm. You know what? If, after I beat you by twenty, mm-hmm. you if you want to go out to dinner, yeah, we can go to dinner. I don't even think they, well, well, you know what? I'm, 
No, we could go, but I'm going to tell you about it the whole time. Well, here's the thing. Uh, now, if I lose, don't yeah. ain't doing nothing like that. But, but here's the thing. It's like Jordan would do that. Jordan beat you by 20. Then, hey, we go out to dinner, and I'll tell you about it. Kobe, exactly. Kobe would do that. Mm-hmm. I beat you by 20, then we can go out to dinner so I can tell you about that. Dame Lillard strikes me as a guy that says, I'll beat you by 20. Hell no, we ain't going out to dinner because we should have beat you by 40. That's who Dame yeah. Lillard is. I do get that feeling from Dame. Like he's taking it all the way there. Yeah. Yeah. If you thought it's like you like you take you you take I, I feel like I, I feel like Michael Jordan, like what we learned about Michael Jordan this year mm-hmm. was how he motivated himself to look for things to take personal in order to motivate himself. I feel like that's what made up Michael Jordan. I feel like, oh, absolutely. I feel like that, that was Jordan. Kobe was somebody who always took it. Like he didn't need motivation to take it personal. It was just personal because you were on the other side. And I feel like that's, that's more, that's more along the lines where Dame, Dame Lillard is. I take it personal. I don't care what you're doing. You're on the oh, other side. You're, so. you're on the other side, so it's automatically personal. You don't have a Blazers uniform on, so therefore, it's personal. And that, that's how I feel. It's personal because I want to win. It's personal because I want to win. Mm-hmm. You're trying to stop me from winning. Mm-hmm. And I feel- you're trying to stop me from winning. We can't be friends. Yeah. Personal. Yes. Yes. Exactly. And I feel like you know where it, it tied in with Beverly and Paul George. These are two people who have like imagine. Well, I'll put it to you like this: Michael Jordan had wars with Patrick Ewing. You know mm-hmm. they that that was something that you know those. Bulls Knicks wars in the mid to late nineties. Those were epic. They went Absolutely. to they they went to war. One thing you didn't really hear a lot of was Patrick Ewing talking trash about Michael Jordan. And he talked about he he might not have cared for him. He wanted to beat him, but not necessarily talking trash. And you could easily say, well, that's because the Knicks never beat Michael Jordan. But mm-hmm. that but that's where this whole Beverly uh, Dame Lillard dynamic falls into it. Dame Lillard is looking at a couple of guys who've never gotten past him in the playoffs reveling in a regular season loss. I mean, that's true. Mm-hmm. I have to ask. Okay. How, how much has Dame done in the playoffs? No, I mean, I mean, no, I understand that. I'm not calling. I'm not putting Dame up there with. Jo- I'm, I'm saying I use Jordan as a reference. Like, like nobody's calling Dame the goat. But I, not even the, the goat. But I say he has the worst, worst winning percentage of any player in the league right now. Not all on him. It's a team game. Mm-hmm. The worst means the worst. The like, worst means the worst. Mike was never going to have the worst winning percentage in the playoffs, no matter who was around him. He's going to find a way to win a, win a two of them. Mm-hmm. You know, Dame, as much as I love his game, he's got to figure out a way to win these games and win series. And 
he doesn't figure that out soon, I'm going to be fair and be objective. He's going to have to start getting some of that same criticism I throw towards a guy like Russell Westbrook, mm. who's extremely talented and can get buckets and do everything and has that dog in him, no friends, work out here to compete, hasn't figured out how to win either. And so for me, that's where I am with Dame right now. Like, yeah, you've shown me all the talent you have, and it's amazing. Do you know how to win games yet? Okay. It's funny that you bring up the name of Russell Westbrook. I'm going to use that as a segue because you and I talked about something earlier this week. We talked about, and let's just put it out there, man. Playoffs are upon us. Mm-hmm. Houston, once again, is in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And once again, nobody's really expecting Houston to make a lot of noise. Mm-hmm. They've now given this whole James Harden, Russell Westbrook thing a couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. The window is closing, true or false? Absolutely closing for the Houston team as mm-hmm. constructed. So you kind of floated out the idea to me. And me being I did. Me being the friend that I am, I'm now going to put it out there for the public. You talked about maybe a mo- moving Russell Westbrook. I did. Would, would you like to p- please share the okay. scenario that you threw out to me about possibly moving Russell Westbrook? Right. Well, there are two teams entering this playoffs that with as much talent as on their rosters, they're kind of expected underachieve as constructed. Okay. One being the Houston Rockets, the other being a team you and I are relatively familiar with, the Philadelphia 76ers. Mm -hmm. And when we talk, when you and I talk about the 76ers, there are a couple things we talk about. One, they need somebody who has that dog in them. Two, when you come down to situational basketball and you need somebody who can just go get a bucket, who is it? Three, Houston, they need size. They, they need size. They have none. The biggest person they throw on the court on the court most nights is PJ Tucker at what six eight, six seven somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And that's not going to get it done. There are teams in the West with point guards at six eight. Dallas and and the Lakers both bringing six, six eight point guards out there. Mm-hmm. So. Where I see things could actually line up in the offseason for these two teams to actually make a deal mm-hmm. is if Houston decides they want to get bigger, the Sixers decide we need to free up some space in, on the court and eliminate this log jam we have with our bid. Because the discussion with Philly all year is, yeah, Embiid's good, yeah, Horford's good, but can they play together? it were me, if I'm Elton Brand, the Sixers GM, mm-hmm. you know, once we get through this pl- playoffs and we underachieve, and Houston gets through their, their playoffs and underachieve, I'm on the phone with Daryl Morey immediately. 
what do you need for Russell Westbrook? And as much as you've actually heard me add mouth Westbrook game as a point guard, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be bringing him in to play the point guard in Philly. Mm-hmm. And moving Ben Simmons back on the ball, who is a more than willing playmaker, will feed everyone else. Move Russ, move Russ off the ball offensively, and let him be in attack mode where he's comfortable all game long. He can still use that dog and on the part guard the one on defense, mm-hmm. which is not necessarily in strong suit trying to get low and defend the quicker guards. You you've seen the Sixers struggle in pick and roll defense all year long. Mm-hmm. So I do actually believe. Those two teams have pieces that could mesh well if they're looking to, I don't want to say rebuild, but retool look in the offseason. So, now, so, on the Sixers, this is the um, now the part that really got your attention mm-hmm. was the pieces I said I would move for to get Westbrook. My my first option would be to try to find some package of Horford, Josh Richardson for Westbrook and a shooter. However, if that's not possible, I would be willing to trade Embiid. I'll keep Horford. He can play center. He's still functional. He can do a lot of things. I'll keep Richardson. He's a good defender, versatile player, could do a lot of things. I'll move Embiid. And you were shocked. It's like, move Embiid? The thing is, all right, real quick, who are the, you say, your three teams – you call favorites to win the NBA championship this year? This year? Yeah, pick three this year. Pick three teams. Probably Lakers, Clippers, Milwaukee. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. Who's the best center on any of those teams? Mike Howard? Vail McGee? Brooke Lopez? Mm-hmm. Zubac? None of these are dominant bigs. Mm-hmm. Role player bigs. Mm-hmm. which is really what you need to win if you have enough talent around the perimeter. Last dominant big to win an NBA championship was Shaq. And he's the most dominant big you've seen ever. Mm-hmm. In, in, our life, in our lifetime, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. and yes. Yeah. Before that, as a dominant center winning, you're going back to Olajuwon, who was one of the most skilled centers we've seen in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. So, like, if your center is not, like, all-time great, you probably don't want to build your offense around it. Mm-hmm. It does slow things down for everyone else. Now we've got to wait on this guy. When we have guys who are talented, athletic, skilled, out in front, ready to attack, and you can't because running an offense through Embiid, who's usually jogging up court the last man down, ends up having to set up at the top of the key as a trailer and work from the outside in rather than rim running and work, working from the inside out. I'm not saying never shoot Jays. I'm saying run rim to rim and work inside out. You know? Mm-hmm. What we often see from Embiid is him coming up court as the trailer, jogging, getting that first touch at the top of the key, and then trying to back and post his way in, and the whole offense has to slow down to wait for that. Mm-hmm. If you remember Embiid, that first January he played after coming back from, what, two years of injuries or so? Yeah, he had a lot of energy. He was a lot he, of energy. Yeah. He he ran hard he both ends of the yeah. court every time. That's what caught and everybody's he, eye. That's what that's when everyone was like, "Whoa!" Like what? Mm-hmm. Like 
we had sat we sat there and and Bede was what? The second of three straight years of drafting centers. Mm-hmm. You know, there was Nerl at the time we had Nerlens. We had brought in Joel, who didn't play, and then we and finally then brought, brought in, in then we brought in Ja. Nerlens was all right. Ja was uh, okay. And then we didn't see Embiid for two years. And then he comes in with all this energy, with all the, you know, with, with, with a lot of energy, with a lot of hustle. And you're like, whoa. Okay. This is what we've been doing this for. And this that's is- the Embiid the Sixers need to get. Yes. They want want to succeed mm-hmm. with him. You're not going to get that Embiid move I mean, how you, so how do you get that in beat? Like, like, is it? Does he need someone? Does he need someone to push him? Because we we hear, we, we you know we probably one of his biggest public critics is just the guys on NBA on TNT. Mm-hmm. And, they say the and, same thing. They, he's, they, they, he's not being yeah. dominant. Not not imposing his yeah. will physically. And, and it, all it, of that starts with working inside out. Getting the guy down court and making him force you away from the room. And nobody in the league can do that to Embiid, but he lets him he blows him out with, on the perimeter. With those guys, I feel like you gotta chew the meat and spit the bones. Like I'm like I'm not calling everything that they say BS. Mm-hmm. You know, because like, you know, we, we watch it. So you see it. You know, but they're have you know, they have taking their time piling on it from time to time as well. But nonetheless, yeah. but nonetheless, one, one of the, one of the observations that Charles Barkley always makes when he talks about Joel Embiid's effort is the fact that he had, when, when Charles Barkley was a young player, he had Moses Malone in his ear telling him, pushing him that, out of work. yeah, pushing him to work, telling him to work, making him get in shape. Mm-hmm. Now I will be, you know, I am somebody you can go in, you know, best in the world archives. And I had always said, you know, when it looked like I always thought like probably one of the biggest tragedies, uh, a, a tragedy basketball wise, not necessarily like in the great, the greater scheme of things. But one of the biggest travesties was the fact that the Sixers had made a move where it looked like they are now going to build around the big man. They bring in Nerlens, they bring in Joel, they bring in Ja. You know, it, it looks like, okay, if they're going to rebuild, they're going to rebuild around size. But unfortunately, when they made that move, Moses Malone passed away, and then Daryl Dawkins passed away. And those were two guys you would, you know, I would have loved to have had in this organization while you had those three big men. Those are three guys I would love to have had. Those are two guys I would love to have had in the building while you had these three young big studs. I agree. And the, my fear with Embiid now is that he's no longer really that young. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He got to mm-hmm. him as a rookie, second-year player. Yes. And instill those standards mm-hmm. of, of consistency, of effort, those things when he was Getting like Berkeley was, but see now Embiid has a superstar ego. Yeah. So I don't know who out there, short of a Shaq or a Lajuan, yeah, you know, has the type of cachet yeah. you need 
get Embiid to really sit and mm-hmm. listen to you. Because, because, yeah. it, it, and it speaks to what you just said. The last, the last big man, the last dominant big man in the league was Shaq, and I feel mm-hmm. like Shaq has been such. Shaq has has taken enough shots at Embiid that if you brought him in to now mentor Embiid, Embiid has a reason to tune him out. Mm-hmm. And oh, it's personal. He just don't like me. Yeah, and exactly. Stuff. Yeah. And, but 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 now you go so far behind. Like how much? How much does Embiid know about Olajuwon, the player? You and I, who are both in our forties, we know Hakeem Olajuwon. You ain't got to tell us mm-hmm. about you know Hakeem Olajuwon, who he was. But at this point, what is Joel and be twenty six? What does a twenty six year old know about Hakeem Olajuwon? You know, I'm sure he's watched some tape. No, I mean, yeah. if you, and if you watch Embiid's footwork and some of the moves he's mm-hmm. he's he tries, you know he's watched some Olajuwon tape. Mm-hmm. But actually, about the consistency, the type of personality he had on the court, mm-hmm. really watching getting the end games, not just studying highlights of moves, but really paying attention to how he played, how he went about his business on mm-hmm. the court. Those type of things. And I'm not sure how much Embiid really paid attention to that part of it. Exactly. It's but, real easy for a lot of people to like watching, watch the dream and say, oh, the dream shake, the footwork and all that. Mm-hmm. But, but his actual, how much his are you actual watch- game. Yeah. His, like, how, how much are you watching before he gets the ball into his hands to see how hard he worked to but, get into that deep post position and, and where I, he could I, use the dream fake? But that, and, and that is just, that, that goes into you know, when you're watching tape, like Embiid has watched tape of Hakeem Olajuwon. You and I watched Rockets games. Like we sat down, you know, you and I are from an era, I watched the Rockets. You know, we watched games. Watched those games. Yeah, it's like, like Embiid Embiid has probably watched Shaq games. You know, he's he's not you know, he he's old enough to have watched Shaq games. You know, and that's and that is, you know, that is where, you know, you see these players like their reverence for Kobe Bryant. They watched Kobe they play. watched Kobe play. And then when you see like when you look at Kobe's generation, Kobe, Iverson, Vince Carter, you know, and you see what they took from Jordan because they watched Jordan. You know, mm-hmm. that is like these, you know, it's like Kobe, you know, the, the Kobe generation, they see Jordan as, hey, I watched him play and they were in, the, you know, they were in the league towards the end of, you know, the so not only did they watch him play, they played against him. Now, this mm-hmm. generation, like, like it was Jordan, the player, then Jordan, the sneakers, whereas mm-hmm. this, you know, this generation. It's Jordan the sneakers, Jordan the sneakers and then Jordan the player. But to tie this all into Embiid, it's like he needs somebody in his, you know, he, he would benefit, like the person, like a big man who would get into his ear has to be somebody who played and won at a high level. And the first name off the list 
you know, he's taking himself both. Hmm? Yeah, but and he's yeah, and, and he's kind of taking himself off the list. Like, you know, it, it, it's it's not gonna be Shaq. It's not Man, gonna be Shaq. You know, it's not gonna be Shaq. Uh, it's not gonna I, be Elijah either unless you go to Houston because yeah. he's very committed to that organization. Yeah. Yeah. It's you know, it and then after that, who do you have? You know, it's like David Robinson. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, he's committed to the Spurs. Mm-hmm. Alonzo Mourning, he's committed to the Heat. Patrick Ewing has a job. Yep. So you know who who are you know who are you going to bring in? It's like you sit here and like you look at the Sixers bench, uh, the bench, and I'm not talking about their bench players. I'm I'm looking like their assistant coaches. Who's coaching the big man? You got point guards coaching your your, your center. Mm-hmm. You got guards. Yeah. Guards they, and, and swingmen. If you think about it, when was the last year Shaq won a championship? What was that? That was 2006? Two, 2000, yeah, two, 2006. When was that? It was 2006 he won with Wade in Miami? Yes, because that was that was my that that was my honeymoon year. I, I was I was watching them or I was watching them from Key West. Last time we really saw dominant Shaq was what two thousand one two thousand two with the Lakers. Mm-hmm. So them beat is twenty six now. That was eighteen years ago. He was eight years old, maybe. And Last time Shaq was really dominant, and Embiid wasn't playing basketball. We're, yeah, we're, yeah, we talk with Embiid first started playing basketball in high school. When exactly, he was 15, so, 16, 17 years old. So for his basketball life, there really is no frame of reference for a dominant big man. Mm-hmm. The closest thing he got was Dwight Howard in Orlando. And what's Dwight Howard going to teach him about playing in the post? Absolutely nothing. Yeah, so. So to to your point, because the point that you made in suggesting this trade mm-hmm. was that you don't necessarily need a dominant big man to win in today's basketball. And quite frankly, it's if you're going to commit to a big, it's like we don't like the resources to commit to this big. Mm-hmm. To show him how to be a dominant big in today's NBA isn't out there. Yeah. And without that, that's why I say I'd be willing to trade him if it will upgrade my perimeter talent mm-hmm. and still allow me to have a serviceable center in the playing in the paint, which is mm-hmm. what most high end teams have at this point. A lot of perimeter talent and a serviceable oh, center who can block, player. shot, and rebound, make bucks when they're there, when they show up. All right. Well, look, Sixers fan, he's he's the one who put it out there. Trading it was Embiid. me. I'll take the responsibility. Mike Jones says it might be time to consider a, an Embiid for Russell Westbrook trade. Let him know what you think about that. Hit yeah, him just, up. Just never let Shander hear that I said that. Oh, oh, oh no! I'm oh, oh please. He's getting tagged in this one. Never let Shander hear that. Oh, 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 yes. I think you you might be ruining his honeymoon. Shout out to Aton Shander. Shout out to my man, Aton Shander. He's getting tagged in this one. So if you, you let Mike Jones know what you think of trading, 
what you think of trading Joel Embiid for Russell Westbrook. Hit us up on Twitter. O underscore D underscore discourse. You can hit Mike Jones up directly at Jonesy underscore LJR. All right. Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. All we can get at me. All, we, leave, have, we, can t- we can go at it. Leave me, leave me alone. Let Mike Jones, <laughs> give Mike Jones that smoke. All right. And I will let, we'll talk about this on the next show. All right. Remember, you can download this podcast in its entirety at soundcloud.com slash bitw sports we're also on iheart radio we're also on uh google play we're also on uh um i don't know anchor and and all, all that stuff where you where you go get your podcast you know we, we a lot of places we a lot of places social media and you'll see it all exactly just follow us uh o underscore d underscore discourse or at BITW Sports or or wherever, man. You'll, you'll find us. We're always on social media. We're always tweeting something. All right? Hey, his name is Jonesy. My name is Brown. Thank you for listening to this podcast, y'all. Peace. Peace. You feeling this podcast? To hear this and more, go to SoundCloud.com slash BITW Sports or on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and search Best in the World Sports. The proceeding was a production of the Lance J Radio Network and Best in the World Sports, a division of Definitive Visions Multimedia. The opinions and views expressed are strictly those of the host and do not represent the views of Lance J Radio Network or NBC Sports Radio. 